The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let me pray. Lord, I trust that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to your power at work within us. So, Lord, do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Rene Gonzalez, and it is a joy to be here this morning before the Word. Today we continue our journey through this great letter to the church in Colossae. For the last few Sundays, we have been learning about the new life in Christ. This new life is based in the reality that Christ is supreme, that Christ is all-sufficient. And this new life is also grounded in the reality that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Now, as you know, Paul spends the first two chapters of the letter presenting this great truth about Christ, about his redeeming work, and our position in him. And then in chapter 3, Paul starts with the phrase, if then, or therefore. This marks a transition in the letter. He's saying, based on all that Christ is and all what Christ has done, you are now called to walk in this new life. Grammatically, he does this also by transitioning from verbs in the indicative tense to verbs in the imperative tense, starting in chapter 3. And let me take a moment this morning to remind you of some of these imperatives, some of the ways in which we need to live this life in Christ. As Christians, we must. We must walk in Him. We must seek the things that are above. We must set our minds on things that are above. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. We must put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from our mouth. We must not lie to one another. We must put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We must bear with one another and forgive one another. We must put on love. We must let the peace of Christ rule our lives. We must be thankful. We must let the world of Christ dwell richly in us. We must teach and admonish one another. We must do all to the glory of God. Also, wives must submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands must love their wives and do not be harsh. Children must obey their parents in everything. Fathers must not provoke their children. Slaves must obey their masters with sincerity. And masters must be just and fair. So I have a question for you. What, what kind of life is this? 
Is Paul being too demanding from Christians? Is this life just a, just a great burden over us? I think no. I think this kind of life is a gift. I think this is the kind of life that Christ paid with His own blood for us to live. It's a life worth living. It's a life of joy for us. A, jo- a life of joy for others. A life that gives glory to God. And a life that has eternal rewards. I am sure everyone here who has truly experienced the transforming grace of Christ wants to live this way. Amen? Amen. But if we're honest, this life is also a battle. And as we just heard this morning from Chad, sometimes it is just a constant struggle with our old self. Even for some of you this morning, a great struggle right now. So I think in our passage today, I believe the Word is calling us in light of these great realities to two more things that must, be, that must characterize this new life in Christ. The first one is devoting ourselves to prayer. And the second one is a commitment to gospel mission. I think these last two imperatives, at least in the body of the letter, are an exhortation to dependence on God expressed in prayer. Dependence on God expressed in prayer. And that's exactly how I feel after reading this list. And the second is a life full of purpose. And this is expressed in gospel mission. So I summarize the main point of this text in the following. The new life that we have in Christ, it's a call to devote ourselves to prayer and a call to commit to gospel mission. Let me say it again. The new life that we have in Christ is a call to devote ourselves to prayer and a call to commit to gospel mission. And these are also the two points of my sermon, my sermon this morning. The first, the new life is devoted to prayer. And second, the new life is committed to gospel mission. Let's start with the first. You can see that first point in verse 2, where he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think Paul provides here at least three words that qualify or describe the way he is calling us to pray. And you can see them there. The first one is continue steadfastly. That's one word in the Greek. And that means to continue to do something with intense effort, with possible implication of difficulty. Another way to translate is to devote oneself to do something, to keep on, to persist, to persevere. This same word is used many times in the New Testament to communicate the need to persist in prayer at all times. And I would like to argue that this call to prayer, at least in verse 2, it's a call to humble dependence 
in God. And it's a plea for His help so we can live this new life that He is calling us to live. I say this because, first, this call of devotion to prayer is there right after all these other imperatives that we have been learning about. There's no grammatical marker that separates the, the exhortation to prayer from the other exhortations in the former chapters. Also, second, I say this because Paul himself models this same kind of prayer when he prays for them at the beginning of the letter. And if you remember in chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul said, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all its spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. So you see, just Paul here is modeling this prayer. He prays persistently for the Colossians believers. He prays for their faithfulness in Christ. And Paul, and Paul now is asking them and asking us to devote ourselves to prayer. So brothers and sisters, I think this is a call to prayer for us. We pray like this because we are in desperate need for help from our God to live this way. And I hope you feel this. I hope you feel that this life that we are called to live, it's a life of dependence in prayer. The second word that Paul used to describe the way we need to pray is watchful. He said we must be watchful in prayer. And I think because sin is real and sin is dangerous. Because our enemy, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's always seeking someone to devour. We must be watchful in prayer because temptation is real and ever-present. We pray because we don't trust in ourselves. We pray when we get into our computers or our phones when no one else is watching because temptation will come. We pray when temptation for sinful anger starts to show in our argument with our spouse. We pray for the help. We pray for help when it is hard to be loving and compassionate. We pray when instead of setting our hearts in the things above, we are consumed by entertainment and distracted with stuff. We pray because we don't live this Christian life as it is peacetime. We pray because it is war. And we pray because we need help from God in every step of the way. We're watchful, called to be watchful. Third, qualifier for prayer, we're called to be thankful. There's 
this is third aspect of prayer. It's highlighted by Scripture in this passage. It says that we should not only be devoted, devoted to prayer, not only that we should be watchful, but also that our prayer should be with thanksgiving. In other words, our prayers are wrestling out against sin and temptation. Our persistence and watchfulness should be wrapped in this spirit of deep gratitude to the Lord. And as, you, as we have seen in this letter, thankfulness, thankfulness permeates this whole letter. Paul models for us how to pray in this way many times in Colossians. So when we pray, we can be thankful because there are great realities that are true and not eternally ours in Christ. And just as I encourage you to pray in need, when I read those imperatives for your life and my life, I would like to read some of those great indicatives that are true for us in Christ. From chapter 1 first. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord and Christ. By grace, we have faith in Christ and love the saints. We have hope laid up for us in heaven. The gospel came to us and is bearing fruit and increasing. The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Amen? Amen. The Father has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We have redemption in His Son. We have forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through the Son. All things were created for the Son. The Son is before all things. In the Son, all things hold together. The Son is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The Son will be preeminent in all things. In the Son, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All things will be reconciled to the Son through His blood one day. We were once alienated from and hostile towards God, but the Son has now reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death. The Son reconciled us to, pre- to present us before the Father. The Son is the mystery hidden for ages, but now is revealed to His saints. God chose to make known to you and us how great are the riches of the glory of Christ. Christ is in us. Amen? And He is the hope of glory. We were buried with Christ in His death and raised with Him through faith. And listen to this. You and I, We're dead in our trespasses. But God made us alive in Christ. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Canceling the record of debt 
that stood against us and nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. We are thankful in Christ because we are chosen and we are holy and we are loved. We are thankful for past grace and we are thankful for future grace. We pray because it is a new life that we can live. A life that has been made possible by Christ. We pray because we need the Lord as we walk in a manner worthy of Him. Amen. Now, Paul's prayer is not simply an act of presenting our personal wishes and desires to God. But also in this text is a way for believers to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. In the text that we're looking at today, we're also encouraged to participate in the mission of the gospel through our prayers. And this brings us to our second point. Paul finishes the body of the, of the text of the letter by calling the Colossians to a life of, of gospel mission. And this, again, is expressed in three ways, as I see it in the text. Not only a life of prayer, but second, a life of gospel mission expressed in three ways. The first one is prayer. He asked the church to live a life of mission, of gospel mission by praying. The second, by living wisely. And third, by proclaiming the truth. So this new life committed to gospel mission. First, by praying. Verse 3 says, And at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Beginning in verse 3, Paul transitions from exhortations, from an exhortation to prayer related to their life in Christ, to ask that they may pray specifically for him and for others who are devoted to gospel ministry. Paul's request is related to God opening doors, opening opportunities for gospel ministry. He's pleading with this church, encouraging them to participate with him in the spreading of the gospel by praying for him and by praying for other ministries, other ministers and partners in the gospel with him. Here's an important thing to remember, though, that when Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. He is literally in chains as he writes. And as we remember this, my hope is that you will be challenged by Paul's commitment and passion for gospel mission. Please notice that he is not asking the church to pray that the prison doors would be open. But he's asking that doors for proclaiming the gospel would be open. 
In other words, Paul is not as concerned about being in prison as he is concerned about being effective in communicating the mystery of Christ. The truth that the Son of God came and became a man and that he died in place of sinners and that he rose from the dead and that through faith anyone can come to him, both Jews and Gentiles. You see the passion for the gospel there? Similar, he said a similar thing in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he said, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preaching my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So let me ask you, are you praying for those in gospel ministry, brothers and sisters? Well, hear this from me. Pray for us. Please, pray for us. Pray for your elders. Pray for Pastor Brad and our global partners who endure great difficulties to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray for Pastor Kenny as he preaches and leads. Pray for Pastor Bod and his team who minister our children. Pray for Andrew and the youth team. Pray for Pastor Jared and our small group leaders. Pray for the leaders of our mom's ministry and our Bible study for women. Pray for Pastor Chuck. And pray for me as we plan services to proclaim Christ. Pray for me again. <laughs> as, I, as I walk through Porterhurst Park. And see hundreds of people who speak Spanish. And ask God, how can we share the gospel with these people? Pray that the Lord... May open doors for the word in our city, in our offices, in our families. And by the way, thank you. Thank you for those who pray for us. Thank you for you, my brothers and sisters, who pray for me this morning. And do it every Sunday at 8 as you pray for, for the preacher. Now, this commandment to gospel mission is not only lived out by praying for those doing the ministry of the Word, but also, but also by the way we conduct ourselves in the world and the way we proclaim the Word. And that's what verse 5 says. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In other words, speaking to God about people should lead us into speaking to people about God. And Paul is saying that we do this in two ways. He says, by walking in wisdom. This exhortation is regarding the way we conduct ourselves. Intentionally living this new life in light of two things. He says, the outsiders and time. 
Outsiders here clearly refers to unbelievers, those who yet do not know Christ. Pastor John puts it this way when he commends this word. He says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. It's knowing how to become all things to all men without compromising holiness or truth. It is creativity and tact and thoughtfulness. It's having a feel for the moment and having an eye for what the people need and want in order, in order to buy up opportunities. We have to be wise in our behavior. He also, Paul also says that not only the way we walk, but by speaking. Speaking in a specific way. He said seasoned with salt, and I think that relates to speaking in a compelling way. This new life and wise way of living would provide opportunities to speak the word. I pray for incredible opportunities to proclaim the mystery of Christ, to see the power of God for salvation in action. Because we live in a world where people believe different messages, different and false realities. We pray for the right words to each person. I think this is a call for us to speak about Christ in a way that makes others want to hear more. And I don't mean this in a manipulative way, but in a way that our joy, hope, and excitement in all of what Christ is for us is evident. So, I want to close here because I, wanna, I want to give us time to pray together this morning. And I close saying this because, because our great need in living this new life, because our, our need is great, we pray. Amen? Because we have these great realities in Christ. We pray, giving thanks all the time. And because we have this great mission to be accomplished, that we know God is for us in this, we pray. So in our journey through Colossians, we have learned that Christ is supreme, that His redeeming work is sufficient, that because of this we are called to put on the new self, to walk in this new life that we have in Christ. And today we're being reminded that He is calling us to pray persistently, watchfully, and thankfully in humble dependence and to engage with passion in gospel mission. The church in Colossa didn't know yet, but their prayers were resulting open doors for the gospel in many ways. This letter is one of them. Bethlehem, we are called to do this life in joy. We're, we're called to live this life of purpose, a life that matters, a life that's not wasted. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 
13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.